The Okie Geek Podcast is brought to you by Okie Comics, a bi-monthly anthology publication showcasing the talents of Oklahoma creators with stories featuring Oklahoma. Copies are available at Half Price Books, Edmund Unplugged, Loot and XP, Boarding House, Paseo Plunge, Museum of Osteology, Commonplace Books, as well as your favorite comic book store and nearest library. You can find out more locations and more information at okiecomics.com. Greetings and salutations, my fellow geeks, and welcome to episode 160 of the Okie Geek Podcast, brought to you by Okie Comics. I'm Michael Cross. I'm Devin Green. Well, let's face it, skeletons are cool. I they really tried so to come cool. up with a better lead than that, but I couldn't do it. So. Dude, I devoted, I devoted a degree to it. I get it. That's right. I'm I, with you. There is, a, a, fortunately, a place in Oklahoma City where you can see hundreds of skulls and skeletons. That's right. We're talking about the Museum of Osteology, and here to talk about it is Director of Education, Ashley Mason burns Mearshart. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. And we are so excited. We've been wanting to get you We're on the show. We're thrilled to have you. For such a long time. And I'm the bone wonk, and I've been like, <laughs> all week. So, yes. Tell For anybody who doesn't know, tell us about the Museum of Osteology, also known as the Skeleton Museum. Sure. Skeletons or Skeleton Museum. The Museum of Osteology is dedicated to the study of bone skulls and skeletons from all different types of animals. Osteo is a Greek word for bone. Ology, of course, is a study of. So we study bones, try to figure out everything there is that we can learn about animals and also human from those bones. So we read the stories written in bone and try to teach people about the animals and people that they belong to. That's amazing. And because I mean, it's the framework of who we are. It, All vertebrate real, life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it, Without it, uh, everything falls apart, literally. Yeah. Um, That's amazing. And how long has the Museum of Osteology been here? This museum, uh, we actually have two museums, and I'll talk about the second one. one, Uh, The Museum of Osteology, it actually took them uh, over seven and a half years to be able to put together all the skeletons. We can talk about the whole process every single skeleton has to go through. When you're dealing with hundreds of those processes you have to go through, the time just starts to really add up. So they took a lot of time in building it, putting it together. 2010 is when it was able to open to the public. So we've been here ever since in Oklahoma City and then our uh, in 2015 they open up our second museum that's in Orlando Florida Mm -hmm. that's wonderful and so 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 been around for for almost nine years Mm -hmm. now Um, and how how did how do you do your a lot of visitors what I mean what 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 is your visitors what are your visitors like the visitors come from all over all ages everyone you can imagine we get um, you know pre-k all the way up to senior groups coming in I specialize in a lot of the group visits that we have and field trips so we really see kind of everybody from all over we have international guests coming to visit researchers coming um, I can talk more about the collection itself later a lot of the collection people don't really realize even when they come through and they spend a lot of time there is that what is on display is just a small fraction right. of the total collection so we at the Oklahoma City location have 350 complete skeletons. That's complete articulated skeletons. Everything's there, all the pieces. Then we also have um, an additional several hundred skulls. So on display, there's about 800 specimens total in Mm -hmm. Oklahoma City. 
but there's about 7,000 catalog specimens in the collection with several hundred more waiting to be cataloged. Yeah. Museum workers, <laughs> you know what's up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> typical of any museum. That a lot of the stuff muse- you see that's out on display is not everything mm-hmm. that museum has. I work for two museums. Yeah. No, yes. Because uh, you know, in the history <laughs> museum, everything is, there's all, there's a lot of stuff that's below that's not out in front of the public. And a lot that goes on behind the scenes mm-hmm. that the average person, you know, they see the skeleton, uh, you know, human skeleton. It's a common sight to see in a classroom or in a university setting, anatomy lab, but you don't really know what goes on to try to get something, um, go through the entire process of articulation and cleaning to get the completed specimen because people, they see it and they say, okay, this is kind of cool. We can learn from it, but they don't really know. And every single time that I've had the opportunity to be a part of that process, it gives me such a better understanding. So when I say 350 skeletons, I know how significant that really is. Just that in and of itself is a huge feat. And then when we say we have a second museum with 500 complete skeletons and several hundred more skulls, I mean, you really understand the depth of what this company has taken on and the passion behind it because the origin story of the museum is probably even more fascinating than the specimens themselves. Go for it. Tell me that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, the museum is actually um, totally privately owned. It's um, owned by the Villamorette family. Jay Villamorette Sr., I don't know if you ever had the chance to meet him. You did get the chance to meet him. I got to go on a field trip in my uh, undergrad in anthropology. Oh. We got to go visit just when it was Bones Unlimited and got mm-hmm. to go to the processing room and everything like that. You did and get so to go there? We did. Wow, that's really special. <laughs> it ended up with me being an intern at the Sam Noble for two semesters oh, processing specimens because I was like, this is what I want to do. Really cool. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but go on. Tell, um, tell the story. So Jay Villain Moret, he was seven years old and he was walking in the woods with his brother. They just happened to stumble across a blanket. Inside this blanket was actually a skeleton. They saw it, their imagination imaginations running wild of course thought it maybe could belong to a human what if this was a person so they went and they told their father their father was able to come out and look at the remains he could tell that it wasn't human but he didn't really know what it was so the boys actually gathered the remains brought it back uh, went to the library and began researching what could this possibly be so of course you know you look at the dentition of the skull the teeth you look at the eye placement you look at the um, cranial index different measurements of the skull maximum width versus maximum length maybe use a dichotomous key but he was able to find out that actually was in the dog family and actually belonged to that of a domestic dog so someone must have left uh, maybe their pet that passed away in the woods wrapped it in a blanket kind of left it there so it was what we refer to as skeletonized so the natural process that takes place happened the natural scavengers came the flesh-eating beetles which of course we can talk about came (laughs) yeah in nature in nature and then the bones were just kind of bleached by the sun over time and then the boys stumbled across it well That was Jay's first skull, the domestic dog skull. A little bit later, he found a cat skull. And the way that the dog and cat were similar, but also the the differences that they had really intrigued him. So I'm sure we all know kids that are like this. Jay was this kind of kid where every (laughs) single animal that he came across or every single skull he found, he had to know everything there was about that animal. And even now, um, being able to see his library that he had as a young boy, just super impressive. So, oh, yeah. Like all the... Um, I can imagine. The passion behind, you know, taking the initiative to be self-taught to that level. You know, the scientific names, knowing right. those and just um, building on that every single day. Lifelong learning yeah. is what we do every single day. Um, it was really impressive. So he uh, started our parent company in 1986 with his wife, Kim. And the, 
that's where Skulls Unlimited was born. And then right. it later became Skulls Unlimited International. That is the Museum of Osteology's parent company. They are the world's leading suppliers of osteological specimens. They sell skulls and skeletons to medical schools, private collectors, TV and movies. You definitely have heard of like a lot of the TV shows that we've sold to. <laughs> so uh, that is the parent company. So that was founded first. Then um, you know, fast forward all those years, Jay has collected all of these specimens from his uh, partnerships with different zoos and nature preserves and sanctuaries and aquariums that eventually you end up with all these hundreds and thousands of specimens. Yeah. So you want to be able to share it with the world. So that's kind of the evolution of it. So he wanted um, had the collection for himself, but he wanted really for other families and other students to be able to enjoy it and access it. So that's what they worked really hard to, to be able to open up the first museum. And that's it's amazing. so amazing that they chose to do that. I just, I, I like I said, I I, there's, there's no, the there, there's no facility, no home city. I'm not more behind than that because oh. I think it's just such an incredible way to teach about, because, you know, I work for the zoo's education department and we deal with biofacts. Mm -hmm. A lot of our biofacts came from you guys yeah. because you have beautiful specimens and because you are the world's first. But also it's such a neat way to take like a micro to macro look at an animal when you start from the, the framework, the mm -hmm. architecture, and explain how that architecture, you know, it informs how the animal behaves. So, And once you start notice, noticing the patterns between animals, that can help a lot, especially for like the zoology student. Absolutely. Once you starting, start to see, you know, um, one bone, two bones, many bones, uh, all the mammals sharing the same patterns of bones, humans having the same number of cervical vertebra neck bones as giraffes. Once I people start noticing the, collect, <laughs> the connections, then they start to say, okay, I'm really starting to understand and get, get excited color. about this kind of stuff. And then you have people that leave wanting to become uh, zoologists or kids coming up to me and tell me they want to be veterinarians when they grow up or maybe they just want to own a lot of animals. I tell them that's okay too. <laughs> right. <laughs> so everybody gets really excited about learning and animals, which is what it's all about. It is awesome because we, we've always talked and we talk about this show a lot about how uh, STEM work is really kind of being lost. There's a push for it. But so many kids, for some reason, are not getting into this, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math. Of course, we could also add the arts to that as well. But it's it's being lost and we need to get kids excited and fortunately the skeleton museum allows for that right. excitement to happen right yeah the, every single the day people in this room their mission is to excite them about something that makes them want to learn yeah. more stem and, and biofacts is a really good uh point so yeah. for the person that maybe not doesn't know what biofacts is how do you guys use them in what capacity um it, it very it, it very much depends on the age group um we may be talking about adaptations that help animals live in a particular environment so we'll bring out several different types of um uh, maybe claws and um, we may talk about diet and talk about dentition and how these teeth are going to help you eat what you know and like I said we gear it you know age group but it's it's an excellent way mainly adaptation I would say would be the key that we yeah, would be great. the main point and then also just to illustrate you know look at if, the, if it's an older group like look at these really strong when, when you're able to identify muscle attachments, like look how strong this arm must be. Mm -hmm. Look how big this muscle must be here, you know, things like that. And I know I'm gesturing on the radio and I do it all the time, so you you people know me. Well, but, it's, but it's also because, because the bones themselves don't necessarily fit together like a puzzle piece. That it takes muscles and tendons to hold these and things cartilage together. Between yeah, them. So we actually use um, for some of the specimens have their natural cartilage in place. You'll be able to tell because it has sort of a yellow 
color to it kind of looks a bit dried out. The artificial cartilage that we might use for the skeleton will be kind of a gray putty looking, mm -hmm. um, but you'll be able to see those in between like the finger bones of the humpback whale. You can see it really visibly. Um, right. But the biofacts are so helpful to us and it's what I use every single day to teach all of our STEM classes that we have because we teach pre-K all the way up through 12. We teach a lot of university students. There's schools that come to us all the way from you know two hours away, Fort Worth and Dallas. They'll come here wow. just for a day <laughs> just to be able to experience the museum. Um, so what you're doing when you're using the biofacts, you're combining the tactile experience. They get to hold, touch, Absolutely. feel, examine with the knowledge. And then you're asking them to record and document all of their findings and then present. I'm big on presentations and building confidence with presentations, trying to build those students up. And um, so every single student that we have has to present <laughs> at the end of our STEM class. Even, uh, I don't ask pre-K to present, but uh, first grade and up, everybody Good. has to do presentations. Right. And sometimes the adults are the ones that get the most nervous about that during our forensics nights. Event. Oh, yeah. <laughs> some, oh, yeah. Some, some adults are all about it. We have those that come in. They're just ready to take over the show themselves. But then some people are really hesitant. But what I try to do is just show them that this – is really consumable knowledge for everyone, but you just need to take the first step and come and just explore your interest level because everybody that comes is interested. People don't know yeah. how interested they really are until they come through right the door. Right until you dive deep. And also, I'll add to that, being wrong sometimes is a more effective teacher. You know, having that that 15 more seconds to explain it, I find, especially with the the mid the mid level i find that you know if they get it wrong the first time they're never going to forget that again mm -hmm. yeah you learn you learn more from your mistakes than Absolutely. you do from, from your successes but i mm -hmm. and i would love the fact because that's that's the, the the thing about science is you can't keep it to yourself and again that goes to what the museum of osteology is about if we can't keep it to ourselves we have to share this with the world and i love the fact that you're having them present to say okay here's what you've learned now go out and teach that to everyone else, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I think is I think is wonderful. You've uh, you talked about the the the, the bones, and I, I, I'm trying to think. I keep. 206, is that how many in the yes, human body? in the adult human body. But that, again, is just kind of like an average, sure, which sounds yes. a little bit odd, but some people maybe have a couple more. Some people have a little bit less. Same with uh, teeth. You know, the average human mouth right. isn't this many teeth. Some people actually have less. Some people have a few extra teeth, mm -hmm. too. So when we talk about it, it's just, just averages for the general population. And when we talk about some of our... Uh, anthropology and forensics the guidelines that we're using are just for like the general population mm -hmm. so we could say that you know your third molar your wisdom tooth will reach occlusion basically where it meets the tooth opposite to it and is fully erupted by around age 25 of course that's different for some people it happens mm -hmm. earlier but we're able to use those guidelines that they found for like the general population and that's what we teach sure because every, well, every every person is just as unique and i'm guessing that's the way it is when you're dealing with these bones that mm -hmm. that not just humans but from different from the same the exact same species the exact same family are they're different because mm -hmm, they're all individuals and you have to keep that in mind and it starts to become really apparent when you're looking at pathologies and different diseases and conditions and how abnormal tissue deviates from healthy tissue so we see a lot of different pathologies so that's another thing that a lot of veterinary students come to the museum for because someone might look at an average skeleton but when like maybe the trained eye or someone who's a little bit more informed can look at it, they can say, oh, that animal had a broken rib. Right. How long did it, was it broken before the animal passed away? Mm -hmm. Has it remodeled? How much remodeling has it gone through? Right. And they look at the teeth. When you lose a tooth, it actually affects the bone as well. People don't think about it. When you lose a tooth, you exert less bite force on mm -hmm. that area. Mm -hmm. The signals sent to the bone 
um, to create uh, signals sent by the muscles to create more bone aren't really there. So then you actually start to see a restructuring of not just the side of the jaw and the muscles on the jaw, but also the skull and the muscle attachments that fit on the back of the skull. So so that's <laughs> how you can tell when if you don't have a complete set at the moment, how can, is that how you can tell which which bones belong to? The, so they belong to the same creature. Mm-hmm. Is that can you do? We that? keep everything really organized, right? But but um. You can sort of see if, if um, like older animals might have osteoarthritis spread throughout their entire body or different, um, if an animal was sick, we could kind of be able to tell, depending on the type of bone disease and if the so bones were going to affect even of, of, a, of a, when it died. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. Within just for, just for, just for Within, the, Yeah, well, right. obviously, yeah, yes. Yeah, so what that yeah. would look like for because humans. You're still looking at that average. Mm-hmm, that the average. Yeah. So it would be a range of ages that's presented. So I could tell you maybe someone is 39.5 years of age plus or minus 10.9 years of age. And that just depends on which kind of method you use. Mm-hmm. You asked how many bones does the adult human skeleton have? About 206. Do you know how many you're born with? No. Is it, is it less or it's got to be more? It's more. Yeah. I heard uh, around, well, under 300, but uh, around 300 bones. Because, well, for one thing, your head, your skull yes. itself is, is we, my skull right now it's is in one multiple piece. multiple parts. My, my skull when I was born was, was actually like five or six pieces. Your sutures are still fusing actually yeah. right now. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that oh, crazy? Totally cool. Does it make you feel yeah. young? Yeah, thank It goodness. does me. Actually, my first thing made me feel young and like, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, and it's just, and it's, yeah, because so all the bones that are are, are now eventually eventually come together because it's just all the tissue and everything finally eventually comes into creating a bone and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and coming together. But... Yeah, for for a child, it's so weird to think that a baby would have more bones because he's tiny, Uh and they're also less fragile. Yes, like you know. I mean, not to throw them, don't throw them around, but you know, <laughs> yes. it's a, it's they're a, more it's malleable. A, it's a malleable. It's a, it's a, it's a fragility thing. Because the composition of cartilage mm-hmm. uh, within the bone and between them, everybody's heard of the soft spot on mm-hmm. the baby's head. That's called the fontanelle. <laughs> and that fontanelle will start to close over time. So eventually you're going to have no visible fontanelle right. and the sutures will fuse as well. Right, and that's of course also the sign of aging is is that the bones eventually tighten all together. That's why we have, as you get older, you have back problems. That's why you have issues with your joints and things like because your your tissues, everything is becoming more bone like in, yeah. in your in your in your in your body, and that's just amazing stuff. That is oh, incredible, awesome stuff. Um, so. Gosh, where do we go from here? Oh, there's lots of places. I have so many questions. How, okay, um, I want to know how do you get these bones? Right. So all the skeletons that we have are donated to us. They're donated to us from animals who had lived their lives at zoos, nature preserves, sanctuaries, aquariums, rehabilitation centers. Sometimes for some of the larger ones, like a humpback whale, you know that that they don't have any of those yeah, right. just hanging out at the zoo or the aquarium. So uh, sometimes during uh, beachings or strandings, uh, as soon as the researchers are finished taking all their data from those specimens, we might receive them. So that's where they would come from. They're all based off of donations that we receive mm-hmm. from those facilities that we've been working with. And do you get full body parts or do you get the skeleton? All I want to know is, do you create the skeletons? Yes. How so, do you do that? So when an animal uh, does pass away at those facilities, depending on the facility, we may receive it as a donation. When we receive it as a donation, we may have to go pick up the animal or it might be sent to us. When it's sent to us, at that point, the veterinary team from that facility has already gone in, taken all of their tissue samples. They've done a calvarium cut, most likely, which is the cuts on the skull to be able to examine the internal structure and brain tissue. They need to take that information if they need to figure out how the animal died. Uh, They might also uh, open up the chest cavity 
So when we receive the animal, it is fully intact in the sense that all the pieces are there, but it might have undergone that process. So it is um, not as full intact as you would expect. Are they thinking about you when they send that, when they do all that stuff? Are they thinking about? They're not, no, they're not too worried about us. They're just kind of, their main mission is to find out what what the animal, yeah, do what they need to do. Uh, If it does come to us, it comes to us. If it doesn't come to us, then of course it it doesn't really matter too much because Mm. no one would be looking at it at that point. All the information is lost to us. Um, So they would collect what they needed and then it would come to us as the donation. Then at that point, then we start doing our process. (laughs) So a general overview of what that looks like is sorry um, <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm shaking i'm, I'm rubbing my hands gleefully because this was my favorite part to do as an intern so it's, go i i like to be I, I try to be involved for my part i'm that's not really what i do for the right? company but <laughs> i will admit there are some days where i try to sneak over there and see okay guys what's going on over it's here and so maybe cool. put on a couple of gloves myself and try right? to examine um so when the animal is received as a full carcass, it's our job to then move it to the next part, which is mass tissue removal. That is a process called flensing. Flensing actually comes from a term um, that they used to use for whaling. Mm-hmm. They called it flensing, uh, where they removed all the tissue from the whale. So flensing knives are our sharp paring knives that we use. We go in by hand for a mass tissue removal. So in that case, you're just removing chunks and chunks of tissue and sometimes we use gravity to help us putting tension on the uh, muscle or the tissue and then using a sharp blade to cut it away or sometimes we might hang up the animal to help you know the pull of gravity Mm -hmm. kind of forcing those uh, internal organs out or tissue out then it's uh, depending on the size of the animal then it kind of goes off into different branches of processing depending uh, if the animal was an adult or juvenile also affects how the bones just like we were talking about um, younger animals don't have bones that are fully fused so you want to use a less harsh process but in general there's a few different ways you can process a skeleton you can do uh, the flesh-eating beetle dermestid beetle colony that's Probably my favorite one to use. Same. <laughs> then, or you could do uh, maceration. Mm-hmm. That's where you let the meat rot off in water. Over time, you might have a warm water maceration. Basically, you let the bacterial colonies flourish, and it kind of melts the flesh off the bones. And over do you guys time. still use fabric softener? I actually am not sure about that. Okay, because is that a trick? We, yeah, when we processed, and actually, it's when I learned. This is weird from the gentleman who formed the Body Farm, mm-hmm. the original yeah. William Bass. Oh yeah, um, he was a big proponent of just a little tiny bit of um, downy in there <laughs> to help um, soften. But I don't, I don't know if that's still in vogue or if I'm, I mean, I'm sure there's. And it was also just very gentle, mm-hmm. and so he was always very cautious too. Quite possibly, I haven't done much maceration. I would say that uh, people sometimes they hear flesh eating beetles and they're a little bit turned off and they they're like flesh eating beetles. Why would you want to be involved in that? Let me tell you, that is the best alternative. And you don't so want to get into maceration. It is totally well, natural. It's a natural that, process. That, yeah, it's that was always my thing. Is normal. what happens mm-hmm. in nature? Let's just let this happen. And and it's pretty. <laughs> the only, awesome the only difference how is it's quickly they work. It's it's concentrated. So you're not just putting something out and letting. Any bug, we kind of speed up the process. Yeah, too. you're not letting the blood flies come. But yeah, it's but that is exactly what nature but it's does. Nature eventually nature digs away the the the, the flesh mm-hmm. and the tendons and everything, and what you're left with is bone, and it bleaches out in the sun. How so do you fast. have you ever heard how long that is naturally supposed to take? Um, it would take I would bet months to it, be able to do yeah, that. Yeah, skeletonized is a series of uh, is. 
There's about five stages, I think. At best. Mm -hmm. And again, conditions very right. cold, hot. Yeah, the, hot would be better. Would William Bass has a great book about it. He about forming the body farm. If you're, if anyone's yeah. interested. So, so what you do is you take what happens naturally in five, six months, so let's say, mm -hmm. uh, and then boil it down to uh, to just a little short amount of time. I have put a skull in my beetle because I have beetles at home. It's the best thing to use. In college, I was macerating in my dorm room and on the porch. <laughs> and uh, we're high fiving <laughs> across the studio right now because same. Because so cool. it's like you don't want to use anything else. Once you've had beetles, you're officially spoiled. You can stick the specimen in the beetles. They will just all tear through. all the flesh off, but leave the most delicate <coughs> bone structure still intact, it's which amazing. is probably the best part of it. All the uh, nasal turbinates, nasal concha, which are the nasal bones that you see, uh, they look very thin, paper thin with a bunch of holes in them. Uh, those are able to be cleaned with the flesh-eating beetles. The wow. tiny little larvae get in there, and they clean everything for us. Yeah. Um, so well, your ear bone is like one of the smallest bones in your body. And, and I, I can imagine if you're just trying to use a, a knife just to clear this stuff away, uh, oh. fingers yeah ears, you wouldn't be able to we would mm -mm. damage the bone yeah. much sooner than we'd ever be able to get that tissue off and even in maceration you risk the teeth falling out and changes in mm. humidity teeth will be cracking and falling out so that's a little bit dangerous the nasal turbinates can get damaged that way that's why beetles is just the best thing but you also have to think practically okay if i have something that is elephant sized am i really going to okay. be able to put that in a beetle tank no yeah. so generally anything bear sized tiger sized or smaller would be able to be processed with the flesh eating beetles when you're dealing with animals larger than that that's when you have to start thinking about the rotting uh, maceration or mm -hmm. boiling possibly if mm -hmm. the skeleton will allow for that just by the age and right. how strong it is mm -hmm. that's amazing and so once you've got it uh god again these the once the bones these bones don't literally fit together they are fit together with using tendons and um so how do you make sure that everything still stays together and works together like that depending on the size sometimes when the specimens are small enough you maybe don't want to let the bones fall apart on mm -hmm. you completely um you want to maybe reinforce those connections with cartilage but uh for some of the other ones like the humans that we have for example or even um like a bear for example our articulators are so skilled and have so much knowledge of anatomy, they know just by working on these animals all the time how much cartilage fits between this vertebra. Because if you just try to string vertebra or bones of the spine together, they're not going to fit properly unless the cartilage is between. You're not going to get the right curvatures or the right kind of sense of the total um, like locomotion of the animal. So they have to just know them so well and we have master articulators. This is what they do every single day is put together skeletons. We're really lucky to be able to have such yeah. expertise. Mm -hmm. Where do they have the the majority of you of your articulators? Have they trained um, experience wise, or did they did this kind of dovetail out of their source of study? Just as a generalization, um, for the ones that I know, for my part, I think that everybody who comes to us, it is kind of an apprentice type situation. You can't really go to school to become an articulator. Right. When I was trying to learn uh, in my college dorm room, when I was uh, processing roadkill, bringing it back to my apartment, right? defleshing, I was just kind of uh, <laughs> going online, doing. trying mm -hmm. to see, okay, what am I doing? It's hard to find the information online. They had a couple bone builders notebooks that I looked into. Mm -hmm. um, so I was able to try to figure it out. But even then, looking back at some of the things I had done really early on, I had no idea what I was doing. Right. I just was messing around trying to figure out how to put the skeletons together. And it was fun. It was a learning experience, but I didn't really know. So uh, it was funny because I was just a huge fan of the company before I came on. And so I just like 
watch every piece of video that I had seen them on, every TV show I had seen them on when they had their own Netflix episode. I right. finished watching it and then immediately watched watch it again because I couldn't even just watch it one time. I had watched it, you know, I don't even tell you how many times I've right. actually watched it. I could tell you the whole thing, mm-hmm. like the whole intro. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Because uh, uh, it's just, I was just a huge fan. But um, what did your roommates think about you bringing <laughs> home road quilts? She's like, I lost the roommates quickly. <laughs> I actually, my formal education, I say that the museum is probably the best thing. It's the best thing that's ever happened, I think, in the history of everything to me. But it totally derailed all of my life plans. Right? I was actually in school for, I have a master's in criminology and criminal justice. Oh, nice. And I was doing a lot of serial murder study at the time. So my family Girl, was a little bit worried. And But I was just, was, uh, I just happened to have these two interests intersect at the same time and that kind of is what made it a little bit weird I guess if you think it's weird but um my roommates it's funny never said a word not a thing wow no people don't want to know they don't that, they just yeah that's the flip on. side to like, that point they're like whatever she's doing in her room just don't even <laughs> and if you have a roommate that's dragging home roadkill do you really want to engage? You want? don't engage don't don't engage exactly <laughs> but I did get uh a the professors, the college professors that come to us, they always ask me to tell these the same story over to their kids because they think it's funny. Is when I was in college, I was in the dorm room and I had a notice on my front door and it said in all capital letters, you are in violation of your lease. Your lease will be terminated. You'll have to move out between five and seven days. And I'm like, oh, great. I've been found out. They know all about this. Right. I had all the my bodies tup- have <laughs> the been bodies, found. Uh, all my Tupperware containers on the porch were all organized. I had like maybe three possums over here, four squirrels so over good. here, an armadillo over here. I'm like someone definitely said something and I've been found out well I flip to the back of the page and look for my contraband which is what they called it my items of contraband were a plant was a plant it said plant and in parentheses s plant or plants I'm like plants that doesn't match up with corpses Um, I had actually gotten an orchid for my birthday from my roommate (laughs) it was a purple orchid the really pretty kind yeah and it was sitting on my porch that was my contraband i moved the orchid into the kitchen table kept the the bodies (laughs) outside (laughs) and uh i was good to go never that is hilarious and then the body because my go-to is corpse flower you know But orchid? it was an orchid. Orchid, yeah. Is, is it? So mu- I said I can live with jokes that. on you, apartment complex. <laughs> yeah, the, the bodies are intact. Is well, it much of a not for long? Yes. These things? Okay. Incredibly, this the worst thing you can imagine times that by a thousand, and then we're somewhere maybe in the ballpark. Yeah, so I'm guessing that's up. something you just get used to. Oh yeah, some people can handle it better than others. I think even for the most experienced person, if it just happens to hit you on a day where you're not, not feeling prepped. well, um, it just the smell of it. You know, mm-hmm. if you smell it, you can taste it. Kind of situation. Mm-hmm. It's so heavy in the air. Um, but for someone who's around it all the time, it doesn't bother you at all. It would be like you know, some people get offended by the smell if they walk into a nail salon. It's like so strong sure. to them. Right. But for the nail technician, of course, they're not they're even going to notice it. So. I used to have to schedule, I, I could no longer, like, it hit a point, and it was just a couple weeks in, I couldn't schedule anything after my internship at the at the museum until I went home and thoroughly, like, deconned, because it wasn't, it didn't bother me, but everywhere I went, they're like, oh, God, you're in the bone room, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah, oh, what? No. And, yeah, so I couldn't, like, have any other classes, like, I like, had to schedule some, you know. The smell permeates the hair, the clothes. Yeah, hair, if clothes. I've been over next door, you'll be able to tell. Yeah. <laughs> the the so I have to try to be it's careful thing. if I go you over there. You work with decomp, but yeah, you have to. <laughs> can I, I? Can I? I'm a silly question. What do we know? What? Why? Why does it? Why does it smell? It's organic. 
matter that's decomposing. It's just decomposing. The bacteria, I okay. think, is a lot it's of it. It's the bacteria, yeah. Okay, because I was, I was actually, wondering, because yes, I mean, if you go out to like a body that's decomposing in the woods, mm-hmm. you know why, and it's, and it's but I, I thought maybe since it was... Even in a in controlled a, okay. situation. Yeah, decomp sets in really early, and also people don't, I, I don't know if you get this surprise, bones don't smell very good. They, I think people expect bones to smell like nothing. Sometimes it once we chemically sanitize them, right. them, then it smells like kind of it kind of is like an old bone dust like an, kind of yeah, smell. Like a, it has its own. So just it still like has an a smell. Has its it does smell have a smell it. though, and then but I like say but it's fresh. No, no, no. But fresh bone, mm-hmm. like freshly de defleshed. Uh-huh. Um, I don't think people expect it to have an organic smell at all. I think they picture. Nice shiny white mm-hmm. bone in a museum, and and that, yeah. that's a long that it's, that's it's a long all, process yeah, to there sanitized and not mm-hmm. not with any kind of smell. Well, and whatsoever. it's organic; it's not you know dry. It's kind of like when you go into. I was a vegetarian for a while, and when I went into the grocery store on the meat side, mm-hmm. it was so strong to yeah. me. I could smell just the meat, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. steaks and and mm-hmm. ground beef and all that. You could smell it and the gaminess of it, and it really stuck out to you. And I kind of think that that's how it would be for someone who hasn't been around the smell. It's just like it confronts you, and you have to address it, right. and either you're going to address it uh, in a tolerant t- type of way, or right. you're going to be scared, and you're going to run out of the building. And yeah. it's not for you. But yeah. everybody who uh, is able to go next door, like the people who work there, I have to say they're really, really used to it. Just it's a part of their average day. So. Yeah. Yeah, but the museum itself does not stink. No, it's, not at no. all. Oh, sorry, I did great. not mean <laughs> to yeah. give that impression. I, 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 that's why I was just realizing. People it's are like, just really minute. surprised. I want to let people know, this. the, the museum itself is, no. is, is a wonderful place to go to. Sometimes the kids smell the bones expecting it to smell, and they, they're like, well, this actually doesn't smell. I'm like, mm-hmm. what did you think it was going to smell yeah. like? Right. I got told that it smelled like something. It's mm-hmm. right. It does not. It does not smell. It but did. It just, it it's in. Anymore. It's in the process of making them into the, the skeletons that you guys have. Which I, now the flesh-eating beetles do they do they actually eat flesh if it's alive? No. Do you have to be concerned <laughs> no. about that dealing no. with them. They're a carrion beetle. Carrion is dead animals, so they only okay. scavenge. They're scavenger beetles. We wouldn't expect to see them outside, even in nature, on a carcass for uh, quite a little bit of time afterwards. Even compared to some of the other species, uh, there are hundreds of different species of carrion beetle. We use Dermestes maculatus. That's just a very hardy one. That one is actually introduced into the decomposition process a little bit later. They prefer their meat to be kind of dried out, like beef jerky consistency, which is great for us because um, by drying the meat out and making it like beef jerky, it actually helps uh, cut down on the smell and the bacteria and you kind of stop the decomposition process there Mm -hmm. and then let the beetles finish. What you uh, wouldn't want is to have that tissue still be wet because that's when you start to draw in some of your other insects or possibly other scavengers which there are uh, other types of beetles that feed exclusively on dermestid beetle larvae right so we oh, don't want those kind of contaminants right. getting into the colony there's a lot of things you have to watch out for when you're um starting a colony and then maintaining it we have someone that specializes in it at our company so um they'd be in the bug room is what we call it <laughs> maintaining all of those you know thousands 100%. and thousands of colonies of beetles that are you know our hardest workers they're working every single day for us day and night that's amazing. And so, so much stuff, go, so much goes into it that you just don't even think about. And I'm guessing that is part of the education process that you do at the museum. 
we teach a lot of people about, well, we have focus heavily on STEM aspects. Then we also teach people just in part about our process, just what the average person maybe would want to know right. or maybe be a little bit intrigued about. Um, we show some videos of different TV shows that we've been on. Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe is yeah, probably by far. Is so good. <laughs> yeah, it was incredible. Skull I'm cleaner. So proud. Uh, probably one of our most well-known episodes we've been on. And that takes you through the decomposition process. And he said, um, you know, it's definitely the smelliest job Didn't he, ever. Yeah, he Possibly like, he like the rated it up hot, way hot. Yeah. yeah. I was like proud. And you said you were, was there a show on Netflix? Was that? Yes, Skeleton mm-hmm. Inc. Oh, that's Don't cool. make me is start it? quoting. Bones, skulls, skeletons. They fascinate and repulses. That one is not still on there. Oh, man. Find a way to I think it was on there for a few years. I found it on YouTube like a couple months ago. Okay. You can, yeah, it's about a 44-minute long yeah. uh, episode, and it takes you through the processing. They processed a rare Barbary lion. Through that episode, they also That's showed you what does it take right. to maintain some of the largest skeletons we have, like our humpback whale skeleton, mm-hmm. 44, I think it's about 44 feet long. Mm. So you're dealing with skeletons that are, uh, you know, hundreds, in some cases, thousands of pounds. Every single vertebra or rib might weigh up to 100 pounds. Wow. So kind of what does the maintenance on something like that look like? So it kind of just shows you a day in the life, basically, That's at the Skeleton true. Museum. And I meant to ask you, I don't know, do you guys do any of the manufacture of the casts? We actually provide education. the uh, we provide the real specimen, the actual bone specimen that would then maybe get sent off to somewhere else to be cast. To so be we cast. don't specialize okay. in that process ourselves. Ourselves, we clean that skull that may be replicated and then used in classrooms and universities all over the country. Gotcha. I was just curious how that process. I knew that you your specialty is that. I mm-hmm. just didn't know if you. So that's kind of our part in it. We provide or? the real specimen. Yeah. And then I, because I think about when you see like a, 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 a classroom that's mm-hmm. got a skeleton on it. Do you, is it, um, is it important for you to try and get something that looks the t- atypical, the, I mean, the typical, not atypical, the typical skeleton. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So yeah. So when you're looking at the skeleton, you maybe would want just a standard male, uh, Caucasian European with no visible traumas or pathologies right. with the Calvarian cut just because that's your teaching model that's yeah. what you're going to use as a baseline for comparison so when mm-hmm. I show you a skull that maybe has some uh, bullet holes in it or um, blunt force trauma you then have something to compare it to because most people wouldn't know you know what is a healthy skull what does a healthy skull look like mm-hmm. what holes or foramens are natural uh, there's a lot of times where someone will come into our uh, forensics program and they'll see the large hole uh, underneath the skull it's called the foramen magnum. That's mm-hmm. where your, um, you know, your brain stem or your spinal cord connects. Yep, right there. Yeah. And like anybody can see us right now. But <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's I right know. there. Okay, everybody listening but did the exact same thing. thing. Point the back of yes. the head, yeah. They see the hole and they say, well, that must be a gunshot wound. Well, that's actually natural and mm-hmm. it's supposed mm-hmm. to be there. And so are a lot of different holes in the skulls where different nerves and arteries pass through. So it's good just your to have... Your sinal cavities as well. Yes, as, yeah. there's right. some here. Yeah. Um, so... It's good to have that just the most standard on display just so people can then build on top of that knowledge when they do see something with uh, more specialized or with pathology. Do you ever get anyone who comes into your museum who gets concerned about their own mortality because of it? Possibly. (laughs) (laughs) If they do, they don't really talk to me too much about it. Maybe they think about it afterwards. They probably process that on the way home. Yeah, I'm kind of a bad sample population to ask the question to because for me, I just think of every single one as an opportunity for learning. And of course, there is an element of 
you know, people come in, they don't really know what to expect. I would say that's the biggest obstacle we have. You know, when you hear a bone museum or a skeleton museum, people automatically think what they associate bones and skeletons with, which sometimes is not like the brightest and happiest of things. Right. Right. So, but what people say when they leave is just like, I had no idea what to expect, but I am so happy I came. Mm -hmm. Because then they're so intrigued and they had this uh, curiosity that they didn't even know that they had. But I would say that there is um, people, it is a thought that maybe they have, but it's more overwhelming the curiosity that they right. have. Yeah, that, t- that takes, it takes over from the, the idea that this person was de- was once alive and is now mm-hmm. dead. It's, it's, but it's still fascinating. So you get really into it, but mm-hmm. not, not, not dragged into it. Oh, I think it compares power. to, uh, in a vague way, but when we talked with Clint at the Science Museum uh, about bodies, bodies body unlimited. worlds, like yes. it's oh, not right. upsetting mm-hmm so much as it, it just sparks this curiosity and this wonder at, and I I felt you know I, I can go to the skeleton museum a million times and feel the same and the great thing is this uh, with bodies unlimited mostly focused on human bodies but the right. skeleton museum focuses on all v- types of vertebrates mm-hmm. all vertebrate life on earth everything yeah. from a shrew skeleton which is kind of looks like a little mouse that, that might so the whole cute. skeleton might be the size of my pinky finger mm-hmm. a hummingbird skeleton that's even smaller oh than that gosh, yeah. all the way up to you know a 13 foot tall giraffe african elephants hippos rhinos uh right now we have uh, our grizzly bear out on display i mean it must be like seven foot tall Seven thousand square feet is that what mm-hmm. i understand your, yep. your build place building mm-hmm. is yeah which is just <laughs> just ridiculously it's huge. So and amazing. So two much, levels so as much well Can, could you think that uh it, it's is it something that people could could do in one day or do you say do you think maybe it's something that you should should to Split Take your time to split it up. I would definitely say that you could do it in one day if you'd like. When I first visited the museum uh, in Oklahoma City, and my first visit to the museum was actually in 2015, I needed, I was there for a full eight hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess it would depend on your interest <laughs> your level. level of commitment. <laughs> I would say, though, if anybody's looking to come in with... Uh, the scavenger hunt and that we offer for adults and kids. I mean, you're looking at an hour and a half to two hours probably for everything. And we do have probably the most incredible gift shop that you've ever seen. The most fascinating gift shop. So up there. And you can take as many photos and videos as you like in the museum and do scavenger hunts. The kids can get a prize out of our treasure box in the gift shop. Um, most people run out of battery on their phone True before story. they get to take True as story. many photos as they want. My brother's Instagram like profile pic has been a photo from the museum <laughs> since I think he saw his Instagram account. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think it's a bobcat skull and it's absolutely gorgeous. And I don't think he's ever going to change it. And you talked about scavenger. You guys have events. Yeah. Talk yes. to tell. About okay. Events. So we have several events that we've just started to um, incorporate into our museum. Now we have um, the general hours usually end at 5 p.m., but we've been doing some extended hours for special events that we have. The biggest one that we've done is Forensics Night. So we debuted that one. I think our first date was uh, August 29th. I think it was a Wednesday. But we've been doing them since September. And we've put hundreds of people through that program, Forensics Night, since then. So it is our most popular. We have one coming up on January 26th. But all the tickets were sold out sold out. Now we're taking tickets for the February 14th Valentine's Day Forensics oh. Night. So you can solve a real homicide uh, or accidental Hubs, death. I hope you're listening. <laughs> with uh, your partner or it is totally single friendly as well. So you're paired up with people and you're trying to actually solve a homicide. So in that case, you're presented with the uh, standard male human skull. 
for your comparison, then you're also given a case and your case is what you're going to have to solve. So your um, subject might have been the victim of a gunshot wound, sharp force traumas like knife wounds, blunt force traumas, anything from a fall to maybe an automobile collision. You're dealing with uh, trying to analyze different calibers of bullets. You're trying to figure out entries versus exits, trajectory paths. You're trying to figure out exactly what happened. And everybody is going to figure out the age based off of the dentition and the sutures. You're going to figure out the sex of the individual just based off of looking at different cranial sites. And we teach you, we go really kind of heavy into the vocabulary with that and the anatomical terms. And then um, you're going to learn about the uh, trauma. And then we also have a second type of program like that where instead of uh, traumas, we focus on diseases. So oh, you get wow. to do the same thing, but try to figure out what type of disease the person may have had or condition they may have had. And you get to use a little, uh, our medical encyclopedia nice. where you're trying to figure out the symptoms of the person. You're basically trying to figure out how does this tissue deviate from healthy, normal tissue. Right. That's amazing. So what other events do you guys have? So the forensics night, like I said, is probably the biggest one. People ask, well, how often do you do it since the tickets sell out so quickly? Mm-hmm. Uh, what you can do is always follow us on social media. Mm-hmm. Facebook, we always post the events. Instagram, we're pretty active in as well. So uh, we w- want you to look on the website. We also have a newsletter that we send out, a monthly newsletter where it lists all of the events. But Ooh. Facebook is probably the most reliable source right. of information. We, we are constantly updating it, putting photos up there of people solving cases. And uh, we also have another event coming up, and it's called the Behind the Bones Tour. So this is where we get to talk about those specimens that are not normally on display to the public. So remember mm-hmm. we said only 800 specimens are on display. This is where we actually take you into the collection within the uh, skull cabinets of the Museum of Osteology. And you get to see rare animals that you probably would never, ever have the chance to hold, touch, and examine different that's furs. Uh, we don't just deal in bones and skulls, but you get to see artifacts of all kinds. So that's what our VIP tours are. And I actually brought you guys a couple passes so you could see what that <gasps> looks like. So these are <laughs> passes, VIP As passes. As Devin's heads explode. Oh. <laughs> So this is what you get to wear. You're welcome. (laughs) This is what you get to wear on your VIP tour experience. So there's our African elephant on it, and uh, you get to wear that. I think they have one eye. Yes, of course. The elephant inspired the myth of the cyclops. Mm -hmm. So we get to talk about that in our myths and legends exhibit in Orlando, Florida. We have an exhibit that just talks about how certain myths got started because of bones. Mm -hmm. Of course, the elephant is a good example. So they have a huge hole in the skull. Taking a picture of it right and now. And of course, it looks like where a giant eye would go, but we know that's actually where a trunk goes. But when right. people found them in caves, possibly, they found them and they thought this must belong to a giant race of humans it's with huge pretty, tusks. It's, it's a pretty logical conclusion. <laughs> sounds like a terrifying time to be yeah. alive. That would happen. Well, that's <laughs> that's pretty I, much I, all I, of I've human history. Thought, I've often thought about, because you know, dragons are, are, are found, you can find the, the myths of dragons mm-hmm. uh, in every, almost every part of the world. And I thought, well, there's also, there were dinosaurs in every part of the world. So if one of them got dug up, that's what you're going to think. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that's why I always thought. I was like, it's, it's, it's probably, probably came from just old bones that were dug up, found in caves and whatever. And, and people went, oh, well, that was, and they would make up something about it that, you know. I'm just smiling at you. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna call you a nerd. But She's just like, happy about oh, her VIP like, pass. Malice. You're gonna wear yeah. that every day, aren't you? I, yes. I, you know, and so, yes, so you know so me so well. People get a behind the scenes tour, and and so uh, and 
you've also got a website though, right? Yes, www.skeletonmuseum.com. That's where you can read a little bit about the history of the museum. You can see the event calendar. It's updated all the time with brand new events for kids as well as adult themed events. And that's where you also get to check out the education programs that we offer for schools Every single day we'd be teaching these programs. So pre-K through 12th grade, we actually provide something called a teacher guide online where it lists all of our programs and then we break it down for the teacher because they have enough to do. They have like one of the hardest jobs ever. My husband's a teacher, so I know I see this every single day. They have the hardest job. So I'm trying to make it easier for them. The teacher guides, they break it down. It covers all the Oklahoma academic standards we follow which are the state's education standards. It follows the uh, Project Lead the Way standards, which are some new STEM standards that even our local school district is adopting for the next mm-hmm. upcoming year. Uh, it covers recommended readings, vocabulary, background information, what to do at the museum to reinforce the education standards. So all of that is available under every single program that we offer. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So how, much, how much does it cost on just, just your normal admission? Mm-hmm. General admission for adults is $10. General admission for wow. kids is eight dollars, and that's all day admission. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, for for a museum, that's an actually really great cost. Oh and yeah, absolutely. Do you sell memberships? We do sell memberships right now because we have all of these really exciting events. There's a little bit of a restructuring of okay. the membership, so we are going to unveil that probably within the next month to incorporate some events. So if you want to come, you're like, oh, wow, behind the bone, that sounds awesome. You know, forensics night, that sounds great. STEM classes, like I want to do that. And you don't want to pay for, you know, all of them. It would include it in the package. So you'd be able to come and enjoy your membership for all these different events, depending on the level. That's amazing. And where are you guys located? We are located uh, off of, if you're coming on 240, off of 240 on Sunny Lane Road. The address is 10301 South Sunny Lane Road. There you go. And, and so it's actually very easy to find. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you're taking it straight to I-240, uh, just right past Crossroads Mall, mm-hmm. um, and it's right there. And, and you can easily find it. And you guys, I know I've got billboards. I see all <laughs> yeah, the billboard is really exciting. Yeah. I actually get pumped when I see the. I know it sounds silly because, you know, Same. I, work, I would rather be at work than on vacation. I know. So when I see the billboards, I don't know if my husband's sick of it, but we'll, we'll just be in more driving. I'll say, look and he'll be like what i'm like skeletons museum of osteology <laughs> and he just thinks it's I so know. funny i know it's like you work there yeah when i, I, know. Got, a job, when awesome? I got the job at the science museum i was the same and i'm still the same i'm just like i work there mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's just an amazing experience because you get to and also i what i love is, is you you get to experience something other people would not normally get to because you're backstage all the time mm-hmm. so that's got to be incredible Yes, being just a fan of the company and being able to work for them, uh, the passion just like never runs out. Anytime I think it's going to run out, I just dig deeper. You know, you can be there oh, for yeah. you know so many hours a day and, you know, when you have all these events and all these groups and everything, but it's like I never get tired of being there. Everything is just super exciting. And, you know, some people would say, well, that could never last. Well, I'm just... <laughs> I don't think it ever is going to run out for me. Hey, you know, they always say, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. That's exactly how I feel. And that's fantastic. And did you think, so you really didn't think that this was going to be something you would do when you were in college. You thought you were going somewhere else. I never thought this. I actually was just a fan of the company, followed them on social media. I remember the day I was in the student union, you know, procrastinating on Facebook, trying to finish a grad paper. And I saw that they made an announcement they were going to open up another museum. And Mm -hmm. I just dreamed it would be Orlando. 
And it actually ended up being Orlando. So then that's when I started pursuing them, I would say. And then, uh, you know, fast forward all that time later, finally getting uh, an interview. Interview day came and then I managed to get a position. So I was just so excited. But um, even when I hadn't, you know, the the people at the company didn't really know me. They were still so kind. And I remember first meeting Jay, Phil Amoret, the owner of the museum. And he actually took the time to meet with me, talk with me. And he even uh, let me go back when the museum was still under construction. And all they had up was maybe like part of the giraffe and an elephant skeleton. He actually took me under the elephant skeleton and took a photo with me. Oh, wow. So that was just so special to me. And um, that museum does mean a lot to me. It's where I took my, you know, my first job my first graduation my graduation photos were taken there i actually got married so what there. got you here <laughs> did you really what, did, did they just oh, transfer you here so uh earlier this year um i accepted the position to do the education department for both museums so i actually before moving here used to travel here about one week out of the mm. month and stayed in more to work at the museum and helping with education groups and uh, structuring and everything and introducing new programs so uh and then at that time i was like you know this was my dream to work here and it just seemed like the time was right, and we just totally made the commitment and moved here to Oklahoma City. So it was really exciting. Well, welcome. Thank yeah, you. That's yeah, I still awesome. feel a bit new. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it takes some takes some getting used to. Mm-hmm. Certainly, yeah. We're that's, all very friendly, though. <laughs> that's right. We really are. Yeah, super friendly. friendly. Good. So you got all these kids that come to see the the show. What is it? Do you think that uh, that you you really hope that they walk away from? What What do you hope that they learn from this? Well, I would say just as an educator, I hope they walk away, of course, inspired confident. I kind of have adopted a little bit of a quote and I'm sure someone has said it before me because I think it's a great message, but it's like the best feeling in the world to teach someone and then watch them teach others. And that's the thing that gets me the most excited when I, you know, explain something to a kid, like maybe it's the fact about the giraffe vertebra. And then I see them tell their mom or dad that Mm -hmm. and their parents have no idea. They say, what? Are you sure? Mm -hmm. And then watching just the curiosity be satisfied and then watching them go off and take that information and maybe it's I know it's happened some student has come to the museum and they are a veterinary veterinarian because of the museum I know that someone was inspired to be a doctor because of the museum amen yeah so, and I'm guessing you guys also have field trips there so every so single schools day. yeah so schools go you know get in touch with them and they mm-hmm. they'll they'll be able to walk you through that that whole step because There's group rate discounts for everybody coming in um, we have the lunch pavilion a lot of people like to bring lunches to the um, you know and eat at, sure. on site when the weather is gorgeous and so we have the classes but people can also just come to the museum do the scavenger hunts that's all included in their general admission and then we also offer the special events and what are your normal hours uh, normal hours are 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Saturday is 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. And then Sundays is 1 to 5 p.m., except for our extended hour days, which are on our special events. But you have to have a ticket for those events. They're, right. uh, they're ticketed events. And everything's always available online on the website for those tickets. So just your normal hours. And, and I mean, if you, it'd almost be better to just get a membership once you guys... So you can't get a membership now, right? So, um, yes, you could get one now. I know that it would probably be more beneficial just to, to wait, wait till the new one's unveiled. And that's just because it's going to have a lot of things included in it. It's going to be forensic the, nights and maybe things like right, that. Right, so events can, yeah. and maybe some special... Um, maybe I can't say what they are, but right. just special oh, yeah. incentives yeah. to try to... Um, enjoy the museum a little bit more well and with a one-time admission price like that you could you know, sure i mean it's, it's still ten dollars for, for that's get the for, newsletter uh, that's if you consider for you know what you're going to spend eight hours doing you know walking mm-hmm. around learning that much 
that's an incredible price for, for oh, what yeah. you're going to be learning, what you're yeah. going to be taking away. Um, and it, but, but people can follow you Facebook, Instagram. Do you do Twitter as well? Um, Twitter, I don't think we're as active in, but I know Facebook events are updated all of the mm -hmm. time. Instagram, if you like seeing the photos of the skeleton, we're constantly posting and reposting. We actually have a fan of the week that we post all the time. So you can take your Skullfy, hashtag Skullfy or Skullfy nice. at the museum That's and the you'll be able to be reposted. That's fantastic. So if you want to end That's up on the skeleton's thing. Instagram, you just have to come and take your own Skullfy. Oh, that is incredible. Ashley, thank you so much for showing, showing yeah. up. We had, had an oh. absolute blast talking to you. Again, we've been wanting to get you forever. Wonking, yes. yes, wonking out right here. And these, thank you. You're welcome. Thank it's you. been incredible. Thank you so very much. My pleasure. Yes, thank you for coming. So that's going to do it for our show. You can find us on our brand new home with our podcast friends at mostlyharmless.media. Also on Twitter and Facebook at Podcast. That's also the address for our Gmail account. Would love to hear from you. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And Devin, where can people find you on the World Wide Web? Oh, you can mainly find me on the Twitterverse at Wubba. That's Whiskey Unicorn Victor Victor Alpha. I changed my name to like my handle, not my handle, but my name to something clever today, and I can't remember what it is. I know. So. I, yeah. Just find me Wubba. And, uh, it's a German rocket cat. You'll find me. Ashley, do you have something that people could follow you on, on social media at all? Sure. Do you um, want to be? <laughs> mine is, uh, it's my personal, but I try to keep it professional because yeah. it's just me at the museum right. or in my own collection at home or uh but it's ash naturalist ash ash underscore naturalist is my instagram nice fantastic and then of course i'm at kosu michael c be sure and subscribe to the podcast also rate us and leave a comment until next time along with ashley mason burns meerschardt i'm michael cross i'm devin green reminding you to keep calm and geek on